round and round the garden like a teddy bear. Hello and welcome to Jam Presents, a podcast series by me, Mike Groves, and a good mate of mine, Jason Cripps. In this Halloween podcast special, we go back to 1992 and investigate the paranormal goings-on at Fox Hill Drive as we discuss the most controversial and perhaps most iconic piece of television ever made, Ghostwatch. First of all, happy Halloween. This is a bonus episode of Jam Presents to celebrate Halloween 2021, in case you're listening from the future. We've previously brought you plenty of murder mystery reality TV shows, so if you're here expecting more of that, we can only apologise. However, Ghostwatch is considered by many to be a show that exploited the crossover between fact and fiction, and was more or less the birth of found footage and the use of a portable camera in the horror genre. It's really important for us to explain that we're not here to tell anyone anything new about Ghostwatch or go into any more detail than you can already find out online. There's a great documentary out there with some really in-depth videos online and podcasts that, you know, already exist and go into significantly more detail than we ever could. The main reason for this podcast is that we've known about Ghostwatch for a very long time, have always said that we're going to watch it one day and discuss it. And obviously now we've got a podcast, why not talk about it on here? There are undoubtedly people that follow us who have previously never heard of it or just never got around to watching it. Therefore, it's about raising its awareness amongst our followers and also give our light-hearted overview of what, by all accounts, certainly from my point of view, and you probably agree, is an iconic piece of television. Uh, if you haven't already heard of it before or watched it, you're not alone. After receiving somewhere between 30,000 and a million complaints, I've seen both figures banded around on the internet. That's, that's a massive difference. Yeah, well, so I've heard... 30,000, it may be that that was on the night, and then subsequently a million. Newspaper articles are very much over a million complaints. I'm not sure if that's the case. Could well be. It did scare the shit out of a lot of people. But after that, the BBC were fairly embarrassed by taking the decision to air it. So they archived it, and it it took two decades before it was eventually released on DVD. And only then did people begin to come out of the woodwork and start to celebrate it for what it was. Some saying it's the best piece of television they'd ever watched. And I can see why, whilst we may not fully appreciate the immersion watching it some 29 years later, I think we can appreciate two things. One, how incredibly well written and executed it was. And two, how fucking scary this would have been if we were to be able to watch it back in 1992. Regardless of our age, yeah, okay, we'd have been five years old. But even at 34, I'd be thinking, what the fuck is this? There are, We'll get into it. I'm sure, uh, you know, conversations will go that way during this podcast. But there are so many moments where I thought, imagine not being able to rewind that or pause it. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, there's, there's, there's bits we get to. I'm thinking... As a one shot, this yeah. is this is incredible. And people had VHS, but it wasn't live like you can pause Sky and rewind and things like that. No, nowadays. exactly. And it's not like and there'd be a, a very minority of people would have thought, oh, I'll put a VHS tape in to actually record it. No, exactly. And there was no reruns for twenty years. You couldn't see it for twenty years. Imagine that being the only time you ever got to watch it. So look, if you have got this far, and I'm not talking to you, Jace, I'm talking to our audience. <laughs> if you've got this far and still haven't seen it, I believe it's available on Shudder. 
if you know you subscribe to Shudder. I know it's more popular in the states, but um, fantastic subscription service like Netflix for the horror genre. Um, it's on there. You can also get the DVD on eBay. And originally, I hadn't put this in here about it being on the Internet Archive, but Ghostwatch on Wikipedia says it's been available on the Internet Archive since 2017. So I'm pretty sure that's fair game now. You can go and watch it on there. There's ways and means, basically. Don't lock me up if that's not the case, but it's definitely on there as of the day that we're recording it, about a week before Halloween. And that's how long that we've been planning this for absolutely ages. And here we are a week before saying, oh, we better, it, better actually record it now. Was it laziness or fear? <laughs> fear of making it right. Yeah, I still yes. got nerves right now. I'm jittery thinking we might talk now for the next hour. And this is horrendous. It might be the worst thing we've ever done. But considering it's such brilliant TV, I just don't want to do it a disservice because I had such a good time watching it. It may be that you're here and you have no intention of watching Ghost Watch. I've mentioned him on several of our podcasts before, but our good friend Stally, he will listen along and never go and watch the show that we're talking about. And if that's the case, um, Jason, I'm putting you on the spot now, that you're going to summarise the show for those that aren't going to watch it in five words or less. I knew this was coming. Um, found footage. Horror. BBC mockumentary. That's pretty good, actually. Close enough. Considering you're on the spot, and I'm not even going to edit the space out between you thinking about that. That was really, uh, that was incredible. If you'd have asked me, Michael Parkinson, Craig Charles, Ghostbusters. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's actually a lot more than that. Look, for me, actually, most iconic TV special ever, a problem with my actual words. I am genuinely blown away at how good it is. In Even that it's, a, you know, it's almost 30 years old. Even now, we can still appreciate what a stroke of genius it was. It's not going to be like this for the whole podcast. You know, there are moments that we can critique. I'm just in absolute awe. And we've only saw it, you know, we only saw it a few days ago. So I'm still on that hype. I'm still on that high from watching. A honeymoon period. Definitely. And when, you know, our ratings drop and no one listens to this, I'm going to be like, well, what a shit program that was. (laughs) (laughs) No, look, there's obviously a lot more to it. It's a 90-minute production that Ed on the BBC in 92. The show initially is opened by Michael Parkinson, Sir Parkey, Parkey as I'm going to refer to him because it's a lot easier than saying Michael Parkinson every single time. He welcomes the audience, or welcomes us as the audience, to a live paranormal investigation where they have roving reporters, Sarah Green and Craig Charles, going into a house on Foxhall Drive in Greater London. Mike Smith and Sarah Green are real life married, so Sarah Green is uh, is Mike Smith's real life husband he's manning the phones and that is brilliant that there's a phone in number on the screen throughout the show to make viewers think that they can actually dial in and they probably went to a real switchboard to leave messages and things like that have you tried ringing it no because i don't have a personal mobile i use the works mobile and i didn't ring it because can you imagine if that's like a free phone uh, a premium number now <laughs> it's like why are you ringing a number yeah. <laughs> 30 years ago <laughs> don't, or don't, don't are risk you it. concerned about some like the fact it will just beep and then two minutes later someone will ring you back and then you've got like seven days to live <laughs> that or it's you like the phone ring. the number and there's someone going what turns you on baby <laughs> ghost watch <laughs> <laughs> yeah ghosts <laughs> so anyway they're doing this phone phone in phone a thon whatever you call it like the ones that we see on children in need with all the people taking calls in the background and at the forefront of all this is parky with Dr. Lynn Pascoe, a paranormal expert who provides a lot of the insight and the, uh, I, I guess she, she is the... Expert on site, basically, isn't it? Yeah. 
She's the one they go to when they say, what the hell could this mean? Mm -hmm. Just general observations initially, Michael Parkinson looked exactly the same for 20 odd years. Yeah. I appreciate nowadays age is, you know, certainly caught up with that's, him. But, but that's how I remember him, weirdly. Yeah, 1992 Parky is the same as our 2012 Parky. Yeah. When we were watching interviews with him on the BBC 15 years ago, exactly the same as he was 30 years ago. Didn't age a day. Before we get into the episode, that ghost picture above the fireplace is the it's most incredible. out of place but brilliant thing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a cartoon looking ghost with a sheet a over sheet. its head. Yeah, it reminds me of um, reminds me of when uh, Beetlejuice when they first try and scare the family out of the house. I think they put sheets over, over um, themselves. I've seen it since I was a kid. Genuinely, that maybe this time next year, Beetlejuice. Don't say it three times though. We've said it twice now. On with the episode. Firstly, I want to talk about how things are set up or introduced. Each of the I say characters, uh, not characters really, the people in the show. You know that what I love about it in particular is that. Yes, there are characters. Yes, there are people playing the likes of Pam and her kids, Susie and Kim and Dr. Lynn Pascoe. There is no Dr. Lynn Pascoe. But the fact that you have got real reporters there, you have got Parky in his natural sort of hosting a um, capacity. You've yep. got Craig Charles. Okay, an actor, but at least a famous name that will go out there and do a good job. Sarah Green and Mike Smith, both of them, just playing themselves, which is great. It makes it more believable. So. Michael Parkinson needs no introduction. It's 1992 and he's Mr. BBC. Sets us up by telling us about the early family who have been witnessing some mad goings on at their home in Fox Hill Drive for the last 10 months. We're then shown that tape from July taken from the girl's bedroom where we hear the banging pipes and things being thrown around the room. The mum goes into the room to get them out and the bedside lamp explodes. And that's a great setup because this is within the first few minutes of the show. So we're shown something which is meant to be university research footage. So they've set cameras up earlier on in the year and we're seeing this unfold. So it's not like you're just going into something where you just explain the premise or oh, we're going to put a camera up and see what goes on. Yeah, the backstory is already there. Absolutely. It? And not only that, the backstory for the last 10 months, but then later when we find out more about the history of the site and the place, it just gets deeper and deeper. So Parky explains the purpose of the show and hands over to Craig Charles, who's at the house. What an absolute legend of a man. I think he is brilliant. Even in this, out of his natural, you know, he's he's an actor by all accounts. I know he does this. <laughs> by all accounts. Well, I guess he's acting in this. This is where I get confused he's, or I fall for the trap of him being a presenter in this. He's not, he's being an actor, isn't he? But he's so natural with At presenting, you just think it's yeah. just doing Parky's yeah. role. Again, Parky was acting, I guess, which is mad. So Craig, Craig. Yeah, we're first name. First name, yeah, first name. Craig introduces us to Pam early, the mum really briefly initially, but also shows he's going to be the one that takes the piss by calling the switchboard the witchboard, and later on jumping out on Sarah Green from the kitchen cupboard, telling us he's had a wager with her husband Mike to see if he could get her to swear on TV. Again, believable. This is something yep. you would see on one of these live things on the BBC, like Children in Need or something like that. You can share with us your own supernatural experience on our very own Halloween witchboard. I mean, switchboard. Which is the closest I could get to, actually. I know the BBC aren't going to take risks. After they've done this, they're not going to go down this line again. But it strikes me as being the only thing that w you and I can link this to, because it's a live um, broadcast with a dial-in, is a charity event where you're getting, you know, trying to raise money. So we next hand over to Mike Smith, who's man in the phones, we've already mentioned, married to Sarah Green. Doesn't that give 
an incredible dynamic later on in that she's going to be scared witless out in the field. God knows what's happening to her. And he's helpless. In and, he's, and he's concerned. Yeah, concerned. Such a good setup for that. I really, really like that. And then we go back to Craig Charles, who properly introduces Pam and her kids, Suzanne and Kim. And they explain the different goings on at their house, things being broken and the central heating not working. She's got a really funny way with words, Pam, the mum. She's really dry, plays it really well. The man came and but he couldn't understand it. He said it was impossible. Everybody said it was impossible. I said, great, you come and live with impossible. <laughs> I know she's working to a script, but that's so well written. We cut back to the studio where we meet Dr. Lynn Pascoe, who's, we, oh, we've mentioned is the expert, but she's the empathetic member of the team, so desperate to prove the existence of goats, ghosts. Goats? <laughs> I think they're, they're real. I think so. I've met goats. Goat watch. <laughs> <laughs> She'll take on any of the sceptics, it would seem. Brilliant in contrast to Parky, though, who sees the whole thing as a joke, really. And then we are properly introduced to Sarah Green, who explains that she's had ghostly experiences in the past, which she explains later on. I'm sure it's her telling her version of events, or is it her telling someone else's version of events, where she hears harpsichord music and an Indian woman haunting a place in the Cotswolds. And then they later found out that the house was previously owned by an Indian viceroy who had porcupines. Now, it wasn't porcupines, it was concubines, but I don't know what concubines are, so I've written porcupines. What's a concubine? I googled it. I didn't want to. (laughs) You're happy with porcupines? I'm happier with porcupines. They had porcupines. Sarah introduces us to experts in the field, and they talk to the audience about all the sound and visual equipment they'll be using, which sets the scene for what we might see and hear later on. Uh, it's um, it's a woman who lives with a man but has a lower status than his wife or wives, so a mistress. Oh, so okay, same as a, or a porcupine. porcupine. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're treating a porcupine better than you're treating your wife, that's not on, is it? But yeah, the the use of like the infrared cameras and the souped up sound equipment and things, they describe it early on, and that's the setup for those. Well, obviously the sound guy's following them around and things like that, Mm -hmm. but the use of all that at the end, it's not just, oh, now we're going to flip to infrared. You get to see that early on, which again is brilliant. Sarah goes into the house for a bit of apple bobbing before we find out from Lynn Pascoe why they chose this particular house for the show. We ran a computer programme of all the haunted locations in the UK and then we did a census of all the various investigators and they were all unanimous that Foxhall had more tangible phenomena uh, on record than on, what I was going to say, any place in the world, but certainly any place in the UK. She also tells us about some of the early research they've done over the past few months with the house and the early family. And then much later on, I know we're sort of skipping ahead, but much later on we meet Dr. Silvestri and he's the American sceptic. Uh, he's there to ensure that the BBC aren't accused of any bias. I love that, that they had to bring an American into The BBC well. still do it now. They will still very much say other brands are available or, you know, this is just our opinion. Okay, they are slightly biased nowadays. It's changed significantly over the years, but they still make a point of saying it when they're really far over one way and they have to bring someone in and say, okay, to challenge that opinion. We do need to go into it now because probably the most important part of the cast is pipes. And we learn a lot about pipes through the show. We they build up a picture of how and why he's haunting in, or haunting the house, finally finding out that he was convicted of abduction, of the abduction of minors, molestation and things like that. Well, yeah, they went dark. They went as dark he, as they could. They really did. It, 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 yeah, exactly. It could just be, oh, he's, yeah, he's like a murderer. He's a killer. Like, nah, he's, he's, he's killing kids. 
Yeah. Yep. And, and Pipes, like, that's a good nickname. That's a killer. really good name, especially where the name comes from yeah. with the mum saying, oh, it's just Pipes. The yeah. banging, it's just because we've all said it. Yeah. We've all heard central heating pipes making a noise in the night. Very well I'm, written. I don't worry a bit now. His name is Raymond Tunstall. He had paranoid fantasies. He thought there was a woman who'd taken over his body, which is why he wore dresses. He took his own life in the glory hole. And don't laugh right now because we need to talk in great detail about the glory hole. I couldn't stop that. It, it was the best name. Oh, it came from nowhere as well. It really did. It, it really so it's did. like, hang on, it's the space under the stairs. Yeah, the cubby hole or under the stairs or whatever you call it, where Harry Potter lived. What, in the glory hole? In the glory hole. <laughs> in the Dursley's that would, that, would have, that would have changed Harry Potter immensely. My husband, my ex-husband, used to develop his own photos in a dark room under the stairs. The glory hole, as we used to call it when I was a kid. He took his own life down there, hanged himself by tying wire. How can you hang yourself under the stairs? Well, this is it. He tied the wire around a lathe and around his neck and he turned the lathe on. So when oh, the okay. lathe coiled yeah. up all the wire, it would have dragged him towards him dragged him towards the lathe. Under the stairs. Under the stairs. Is it typical for people to have lathes under the stairs, is it? Was it his workshop? Was he hiring a room and then he had a workshop down there? Or was he living down there with a lathe just in his bedroom? Oh, okay. So that went downstairs, did it? Into like some basement or something. There's a, yeah. So, ah, right. So whilst we say cupboard under the stairs, I think it's only later on when they tell us, uh, the chap comes on, his social worker or his, uh, the, the person that was with him after he'd been in psychiatric care and whatnot, he was the caller who didn't want to be named. And he's the one that tells the story and mentions, yeah, that that actually goes down. Uh, so it's okay, not yeah. just like a Harry Potter bedroom. It's a basement underneath. Other than, yeah, because otherwise, I mean, you've not got much space to, to do anything so you, like that. Yeah, you're not going to lay in there, mate. Oh, yeah. Also, the fact that they had a dozen cats, I mean, a lathe and a dozen cats in there, it's just not going to fit, is it? But he was left for 12 days with 12 cats. And I'm sure, isn't there a seven wives and oh, no, that's something else? But he was left for 12 days with 12 cats. Seven, and the, seven wives and seven porcupines. <laughs> concubines and porcupines. The cats got hungry and ate the man's face. Oh, my God. And that's why I don't have a cat. You've got a cat. I have got a cat. He's just waiting, mate. He's just waiting for you yeah. not to wake up. <laughs> and we will always have the argument about cats versus dogs, but cats will never work for the police. So, <laughs> a choice, is it? Absolute choice. They're just, yeah. they're just, they're they're just, just well not known. they're just not snitches. They're just not snitches. They will give you stitches though. <laughs> Loads, especially if you're Suzanne with her face covered. <laughs> so look, next I want to go into unless there's anything about particular people' personality or the way they've been set up or anything like that, we'll move on. Well, you know I've got a, like a mess of notes that I haven't even touched on, as per usual, but. It's, it's if you if you want me to jump in with random stuff or we wait and then I'll just go random <laughs> all at the end. Should we go through what I've got in terms of structure yeah. and then at the end we'll have a 10-minute frenzy of Jason bullet points. 20-minute yeah. frenzy of Jason bullet points. Yeah. 25. Yeah. He's looking at me as though to say 10 minutes. There is, there is a lot. Like It's just a scatter of my brain as I'm going through it. Is it in order of the show, though? Yes, it is, yeah. In which case, that's fine, because later on, I've got the whole show documented. Okay. And I'm not going to go through all that, but I can pick out all the decent bits that we want to talk about, and you can jump in. You could, edit. You, you could probably edit it in, couldn't you? No, it's too much. <laughs> too much. <laughs> not when I'm going on holiday tomorrow, and we want to release this on the Friday that I come back from a holiday. That's true. So, yeah, let's now talk about the people who dial in throughout the show. All, of course, played by actors, but the number on the screen may, meant that anybody watching from home 
would have been looking, thinking that they could be one of those callers dialing in. Do you think it was just engaged then? Do you think it was just like we were receiving a high number of calls? Possibly. They were saying the phone lines jammed and things like that. Mm. Or they just had someone taking the calls. Not just one person that would be insane. You know, with 30,000 to a million complaints, that's going to be a lot for one person to handle. It's, one it's all the complaints saying we couldn't get through. That's all that's <laughs> Yeah, great show, but we just like, couldn't tell we, you. That you only had like nine staff taking calls. <laughs> yeah, it was just those few people with Mike in the actual studio. Yeah. <laughs> so like, the first person that calls in is the woman who called to say that she saw a ghost in the curtains in the footage from July that we saw at the very start. Later in the show... Did you we... see that ghost? Right, no. So the first time we see that footage, I'm telling you there is no ghost. In the first minute or two. Okay, yeah, the first time I don't think there is. She's she's calling based on that footage from the first time. They then replay it, and I'm fairly sure when they eventually get the tape, after this caller's called in and a few other people dial in and say, yeah, we've definitely seen something. Mm -hmm. I don't think on the second playthrough we see something, but when they slow it down, they go, no, no, there's there's definitely nothing there. I'm thinking... There bloody see, is. Yeah, and, it's, just, and they're playing a different tape. Like, it's, yeah. it's different. It's incredibly well done because, again, imagine not having the rewind feature. Well, this is something I'll probably get onto later, but I'm going to jump in anyway now. Go for it. Mike Flanagan haunting on Hill House. Now, that was so successful because it was all, did I just see that? Yeah. Because he, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping, I'm just picking a random number now, but there's like, in those 10 episodes, there's like 150 ghosts in the background. But it's these ghosts that you think, so quick, or so you see the bottom of legs, or or, or something, and you're like through the doorway. Yeah, 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 and you're like, but you don't know if you saw it. And, and different that, people are catching different glimpses all the time. And, and this, and this, this is the whole, the whole way through Ghost Watch because, like you said before, that you can't pause it, you can't rewind it, not like on modern day like smart boxes and stuff. So you keep thinking, did I just see that? Mm. And there's loads of bits through Ghost Watch like that. And this is one of the bits. Like I'm sure. One of those clips, someone was stood behind those curtains. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And like when they play it back slower, there isn't. And you're like, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that I saw something. And that just adds to the creepiness because a lot of horror is what you don't see. Oh, without a doubt. Or what you think you saw. And I, I think that's where cinema experiences are significantly more scary than if you're in your house. Because, yeah, when we, when we watched Hill House, we would pause it and we might be like, did we? And you'd go back just a few frames just to have a look. And you'd be like, ooh. And when you can see a picture of it, actually less scary than when it's just a glimpse. Because as soon as you can see it, you're like, oh, yeah, there's an outline of, you know, a person's arm or, or some, something someone like that. Can, Like someone's hand someone's in a face. cupboard or... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But all traces back to... Ghost Watch. Yeah. So the next caller, because that's all I wanted to say about that first call, I just thought it was, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. brilliant. And you do see it quite a lot. But it gets it gets the audience as part of one of these callers, you know, people that are calling in because... I'm sure 90% of people see in that. Yeah, definitely. And and if there was a switchboard or a voicemail that you could leave, there would have been because, hundreds of people saying that this because is... Because I'm sure, I'm sure, like, before we see that clip, was it after? I'm not sure that the mum says that's where Pipes is, like, in the corner of the room. I think it might be Kim who points over. He stands yeah. over there. Yeah. Yeah, so, so if you've got that in your head already, and then the way the camera's directed is most of the screen is beds and the daughters. So all you can really look at is that curtain. Yeah, yeah. That's the only place they're going to be standing. Yeah. And I've got it written further down in my notes, but host do a really good job of it as well. Yeah. Being the, I, I don't watch that many horror films or anything like that, but it's one of the best horror films I think I've seen. And the legs 
there are well you see again a few glimpses but those legs when the laptop moves around really quickly and you can just see up to someone's ceiling and you just see something hanging down and uh, that for me of that film was the moment where i nearly chilled my pants i was like oh my god that's horrendous so look yeah the the next caller pam is in the mini studio you know with like the earpiece and things like that and and she's being interviewed by by the main studio and someone rings in and explains that she had a place in brighton that was haunted where a boy had previously died and again this is all building because later on when we learn about the history of the house with pipes and raymond tunstall and all this you just think ah this is clever because it's only when you look at it again that you think that's exactly what happened in this. It was only on my second watch that I caught uh, that I caught that that they're mentioning this boy that haunted the house in Brighton because he'd previously died there, and it makes you then on second time think, shit, that's just building to that point yeah. later on when you tell us about where pipes came from. And I think that's what I really, really love about this is that there is an end. It's a great build up all the way through. There's a fantastic fifteen minutes at the end, which we'll talk about in depth later, I'm sure, yeah. but there's closure. It is very much, we know why. It's not, oh, it's up for debate, or oh, there was just some random banging, or we were left to interpret whether or not it was Susie just messing around, or we know exactly where that haunting came from. And that's not common in a lot of stuff. You have to make your own mind yeah, up, and I quite Especially like... within that that quite a tight 90 minutes, um, the world building is is insane it really is it really is and that's testament to the writing but some of that like you said is the fact you know you've got these recognizable presenters already so there's an expectation Mm. from the audience that you know parky and a lot of people at the point trust parky oh without a doubt without a doubt so then when you see him you've got all these expectations already what this is going to be and that's no wonder so many people thought it was real yeah and they took it they took it really seriously and you had the jokey you had the jokiness of of craig charles on there and you had the you know you did there was a few tongue-in-cheek moments they would they would try and take the piss out of it and they would you know give give limpasco a little bit of stick for believing in these things and be like oh come on it's it's just a joke yeah. or especially when again we'll talk about this throughout i'm sure but where susie is said to be faking it and she's the one causing the banging it's that that moment where they can just look at it and go, ah, oh, it's all just a farce. And that's exactly what would happen. Remarkable. Anyway, the next person who calls in is probably my favourite person. It's Kevin Tripp. Um, my mates were round to watch the videos and we put on the programmes uh, about 10 minutes ago. Um, I had this sandwich, a cheese and pickle sandwich it was. Oh, yes. And, uh, well, it frightened me to bugger it. <laughs> These actors who are dialing in are superb. And what it reminded me a lot of is down the line which was the radio show eventually went into tv with gary bellamy who is played by the name escapes me now but it's written by paul whitehouse and charlie higson yeah and it's very much one of those spoof radio shows where you get the local people you know you get local village idiot or you get oh um some snooty lord of the manor phoning in and things like that you get basically getting fast show characters calling into this spoof radio show and I'm not saying that they're spoof or trying to make you laugh in any way, but the fact that you've got the extremes of, yeah, I was their social worker, to the, oh, scared me to buggery whilst I was eating a cheese sandwich. The balance is absolutely brilliant. The weirdest phone call of them all, and you've probably got this mentioned much further down in your notes, was a lady who mentions a baby farmer. And I didn't catch the entire call. I think I did. And I thought, did she just... 
did she say that baby farmer? And I thought, oh, that must mean something else because I think she must've meant babysitter or something like that. And then she went on to say oh, who used to round up the kids them. and drown yeah, them. them. Yeah. Baby farmer. Yeah. That's dark. Again, it got progressively darker as it went on, didn't it? Uh, and then look, yep. The final phone call is from someone who wanted to rain, remain anonymous. And this is that social worker. I keep saying social worker. I don't know if they were, but they were someone who worked with Raymond. And they mentioned that Mr. and Mrs. Sellers were the previous tenants of this house in the 60s, which wasn't that long ago when the show was made. It was only 30 years ago, whereas now obviously it's 60. They sublet one of their rooms illegally, so it wasn't ever registered. So all the research that Lynn Pascoe had done over the years or over the last 10 months looking into the house, she could never have known about this illegal tenant. It turns out to be Raymond Tunstall, who was their nephew, Mr. and Mrs. Sellers' nephew, who rented it from them. Yeah, the caller was his former social worker, so I did get that right, thank God. The, so he was the social worker after Raymond had come out of having psychiatric help. That's all of the calls. I don't know if you've got anything more to say about the calls before we move on. I'm all right, I think. So there are some things that we need to discuss that age a show. You know, some shows are timeless. Others have their things to really encapsulate them in the year that they were made. Firstly, the sophisticated equipment they used to draw over the outline of pipes in the footage at the start. And it's like an Apple pencil, but it's a wired pen, a light pencil, I think they call it, with a great big CRT monitor that would kill you if it landed on your head. He literally wills it out. It's It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. And you know that if you were to touch that, Oh, it'd be boiling Screen, it's boiling. And it reminded me, actually, have you ever seen, and it's just one of those throw-out things, and I think it's Andy Peters, he kisses the camera because there's something or someone on there that he wants to show his love for because he's being filmed by someone else. He's like, right up to the the screen. Burns his lips because the heat that's coming out of those screens is so hot. And I was waiting for that. I was waiting for Lynn Pascoe to put her hand on and be like, shit. What, kiss the the TV? (laughs) So the next thing I noticed was the uh, the AGFA, A-G-F-A, the tape that they play back. And there's one thing having a spool of tape playing the, the sounds that they got from, uh, the, or the, the sounds of the voices that they recorded when Suzanne was being um, experimented on or listened to and that sort of thing. But that, and it, again, looking back, um, VHS tapes and things like that, AGFA was one of those big names. I don't even know if they still exist, but it was just one that took me back right to my childhood. And I thought, Phew, there's a company I've not heard of in a long time. The next thing, the mention of Uri Geller. Did I I miss that completely? Oh, spoons bent. You know where Parky's going through a drawer and it's like all like, there's a tray and it's got broken pottery or broken plates and and smashed cups and things like that. And he's like, oh, they're little Uri Gellers, these these girls. And she's like, at Lim Pasco, it's a great moment because she's very much like, sometimes they weren't even in the room at all. We just opened the drawers and they'd be bent. Always at the bench. I mean, quite remarkable. Uh, a couple of regular little Yuri Gellers or sisters, yeah, aren't they? They weren't even in, in, in the room sometimes. You just opened the drawer. Two things. One, Uri Geller, the mention of him is like it ages a show somewhat. Yeah. But in actual fact, if he was on Good Morning Britain or whatever the Good Morning TV show is now, GMTV, all that sort of thing, if he was on there tomorrow, you wouldn't bat an eyelid. How is that man still famous? For bending spoons. <laughs> like, what is his spoon bill? And the number of times he's predicted things, I think England will win the World Cup this year. They didn't. I think that this person Because will... he just goes down the lab, goes down the lab brooks, and he's like, oh. <laughs> it's just a professional better. Yes, yeah. Spend spoons. Professional <laughs> gambler Uri Geller. Spoons. <laughs> also, apple bobbin. 
Does that still happen on Halloween or are kids just into drugs nowadays? I haven't bobbed an apple for a while. By the time this launches, still a few days until Halloween. That's true. Could set that up. Right. We get to the point now where there are a few more segments to this podcast later on where we might discuss some of the criticisms or, you know, our final thoughts on it really. But I've now written out the entire timeline of the whole show, but I am not going through it bit by bit because it's going to be rather boring if I say, and now Sarah Green interviews Pam. And now Suzanne says, I'm not going to do that. Most people listening will have seen it already, but there are some key or really funny moments that I've picked up on and I'm sure you've got in your notes as well. So I'm going to try and pick through them, ignore the chaff, but really, <laughs> really go into some of the wheat. Is that it? The chaff and the wheat? Have I... Maybe. I don't know. Might just be a Stroud thing. We've already mentioned mum, Pam, explaining to the kids that it was Pipes banging. And that's how Pipes got his name, which is a really fun idea. And the way in which we build the picture, we've already mentioned that we get all that stuff from the social worker at the end. But the fact that Pipes is often standing by the curtains, but lives under the cubby, the glory hole under the stairs... It's all boarded off now, but Kim had seen him and drawn a picture of him. And that picture that she has drawn is fantastic. He looks like Cthulhu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And then this is interesting, actually. She puts that on the fridge in the kitchen. And I was wondering, I, we haven't got the quality, you know, the, 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 the video is too grainy to check. But I was hoping that would change. I know later on there is a moment with the fridge when it where it's open, open and Kim's hiding behind it. Mm. But I wonder whether or not that had anything to do with the photo. I, the I wonder if there's, I wonder if there's stuff that I've completely missed. Undoubtedly. Details. And there are things online. There's a behind the scenes and there's stuff even on my second watch that I picked up on that I would never have noticed. I didn't notice the story building as such until I knew the ending. And then I went back to the start and watched it again. And there's stuff that you think, Oh my God, they're telling you what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, really brilliant, worth a second watch. We next see Susie's exercise book, very different to what we used to scribble in exercise books when we were kids. <laughs> we see Rockabye Baby, and there's obviously a, a, a recurring theme there with, with pipes or with the, the possession when people speak with the poltergeist voice. We often hear nursery rhymes and things like that and things like that and that's, stuff. Again, just really dark. Exactly, so it's, it's kids again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's that it all plays into that association. And then we see the word bloody, and then we also get another scribbling of what pipes may look like. So the first time we're introduced to the glory hole is when Pam is interviewed by Sarah without the kids present. I honestly, so, so she mentions that her husband used to develop photos down there, but it's now boarded up. I couldn't stop. I was like a 14-year-old kid again. Well, every time they say glory she hole. She mentioned glory hole. And then later on again, I'm almost in tears. I had to pause it because I'm just thinking it's too much. I'm 30 fucking four. <laughs> I shouldn't be behaving like that. She mentions that it felt like a force. When she went down there, she went to get some divorce papers or something. I can't remember. She she went to get something from down in the glory hole. hole. Um, and it felt like a force was holding her back when she was trying to get out. And Kim was shouting that Pipes is here, Pipes is here, before rescuing their mum. She said she felt like there was a man down there with her breathing against her face. And it smelt like rotten cabbage. And again, with her dry, really sort of deadpan way, she said... I nearly died. I don't like cabbage, but I've never nearly died from the smell of it. We see some university research videos where Dr. Pascoe is conducting experiments on the kids. They deprive the kids of their senses 
and we begin to hear the voices. This is the first time that we hear, this is where we hear that recording of the tape. They show us where they're putting the, you know, the goggles that you wear on a sunbed that are all blacked out and things like that. Or they just cut up ping pong balls. I couldn't quite tell. <laughs> it's 90s. It's probably a ping pong ball cut in half. She even mentions, and this is really creepy. At one point, we filled Suzanne's mouth with coloured liquid and we sealed her lips with tape and the voice continued with absolutely no change in quality whatsoever. And they still heard the voice. Again, really critical that we hear that because at the very end, that is what Parky is possessed with when his voice goes to round and round the garden and the fee-fi-fo-fun bit before the cat's attack. Remarkable setup. Remarkable. Now we get onto the bit where we see a photo of the pillow flung across the room as some of Dr. Pascoe's evidence, followed by some of the breakages made in the home. And I say breakages, I need to be careful what I say through fear of being reprimanded because I'm sure Parky says something about them being dropped and Dr. Lin is very quick to say... Well, well the army did some analysis of this for yeah. us and they said it had been caused by intense temperature change, not by impact or shock. The military, I think the military's got better things to do than to test broken plates, on not it? You know what I always love? And it's a common theme in anything uh, paranormal, but when watches just stop and they say it as oh, a, watches brilliant. just stop yeah because batteries right <laughs> like hang on a minute but even watches that don't use batteries would need to be wound mm -hmm. but lynn says that she gave up wearing a watch <laughs> it was stopping that often it was yeah. stopping like every minute damn it pipes i'm late <laughs> And it's that scene, actually, where she talks about watches stopping, where we see the Yuri Geller reference about the bent spoons. The next part we see is when we're told that Suzanne's face would often come out in lesions like cat scratches. Um, she's been experiencing them for the last few months. What they don't tell us that I've since researched is that actually there's quite a famous spa sort of treatment that you can do and like wear a um, cat food face mask. So maybe that's what she was just putting some iams like on a her face or something like that before she goes to bed ahead of, ahead of her time now the next bit is where they describe the poltergeist being predatory and suzanne is the typical poltergeist target a girl going into puberty am i missing something are they getting confused like the with, with pedophiles <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, you went somewhere completely different <laughs> you're very different very different obviously we do later hear about raymond but it was just one of those things that, like, we think it's targeting Suzanne because she's a typical poltergeist target. Well, certainly as a female approaching puberty, she does conform to the classic, typical poltergeist focus. Yeah. Hang on a minute, what it's are like, you it's, talking it's, about? It's, it's like poltergeists are just hanging around schools nowadays. That's, I, honestly, really creepy. But you're right, it does play into that whole dark setup. When they first meet Dr. Silvestri, the skeptic that we mentioned earlier, they claim he's in blanket denial. Now, I really, really wanted him to respond. And if this was Craig Charles, I'm sure they'd have said, no, I'm not denying the existence of blankets. <laughs> blanket denial. <laughs> fuck's sake. Sorry, I couldn't help it. We need to talk about, and it comes into my criticisms, but Sarah makes herself a cup of tea. I was slightly unconvinced here. And it's there are some telling points. And again, it goes into the criticisms bit, but the acting of the children. Now, don't get me wrong, as hysterical, scared, creepy voiced, etc., I think they are flawless. Absolutely brilliant 
actors. I think they're great. What I'm not so convinced by is when they're asked a question and you'd normally try and come up with a, a response that you'd have to think about first, but they come straight out with it. And one of the most telling moments is where Suzanne's going into the fridge to get a juice or something like that. And Sarah turns and says, because she's making a cup of tea, can you grab the milk as well? She's literally already got it in her hand as though she knows that line is coming. So when she stands up, oh, I've got both. Is it? Yeah. Oh. And it's... That's a second viewing. Just a one or two second delay would have made it a lot more convincing. No digs, as I say, it's a remarkable show. But that was one of those that I thought, ah, that's where you can tell that something's not quite right. I thought that separating the mum from the kids was a really great shout for the show. So when they in the in the mini in the mini studio, the mini basically a green curtain. (laughs) Yeah. She goes, oh, I honestly thought, she goes, oh, we'll take you to the mini studio. I thought, right, okay, that's obviously going to be one of these back of these trucks. But it's just her in, in, in front of a green curtain. Yeah, with a camera right in front of her and yeah. a tiny little earpiece. Yeah. Next, Parky introduces that they've been getting stuff off real people. So they've been getting film footage off real people to tell their ghost stories over the past few months. And we hear from the man with a pixelated face that made it into our promo video, who had his blanket tugged off. And again, I laughed like a child when they mentioned that he was in bed being tugged off. It was his blanket, but it did make me giggle still. He's not in denial then. <laughs> he's, he's definitely not in denial of blankets. <laughs> he had mackerel for his lunch. This guy is incredible. And then saliva. Was his face, was his face censored or is that his face? <laughs> That's how he goes around. You see him on loads, mate. He's on loads. He's on Crime Watch every damn week. That's what happens when you eat too much mackerel. <laughs> he was particularly fixated on the mackerel, but then he did say that there was saliva on the mackerel and saliva on the doorstep of his house. I think it was mackerel or something like that. Uh, we look, both looked down, this is my half-sister again and me, and saw what looked like saliva all over the mackerel. Of course, we couldn't eat it. And shortly after that, I found again what looked like saliva on the front doorstep. Is this the same guy that said he had spit on his shoes? And, yeah, that's um, right. Excrement on the cupboard door is all smeared yeah. around. Thinking, what is he smoking? <laughs> what is he taking in the early 90s? He's waking up and being like, I need to blame this on a ghost. Wait. Like, I've, I've spat and shat everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. You seen, you seen Ghostbusters? It's a ghost. I mean, you ask what he was smoking. Mackerel. It's actually, yeah. So, yes, yeah, smoke mackerel. <laughs> also, Go on. He says there's ex- excrement on my cupboard doors and stuff. How often do you ever see a ghost shit? I mean, how often <laughs> do you ever see a ghost? <laughs> if there's one thing they do, I mean, they're pretty good at haunting. I never, never think, oh, hang on a minute. He's just shit everywhere. But the more I'm saying it, he, he was on about a ghost, wasn't it? Uh, unexplained, maybe. Like, his blanket was being tugged off. And then he woke up with shit all over his cupboards. Yeah. Unbelievable. Angry wife. Yeah. So the next moment, or the next big thing that happens really is Craig Charles interviewing Yvonne, who tells him about some creepy goings on. I'm going to give you a little guided tour of the community, and we're going to meet some people who are pretty upset about some weird goings on, and we're going to go to a pretty sinister place. And Yvonne tells him about Julie Welland, a little girl who went missing, and a five-year-old getting knifed. And they found this dead black Labrador. Where, Where did they find it? Well, it was about here. And how had it died? 
Well, they've been cut out. That's something in a butcher's shop. Can you imagine the kind of person that would do something like that? And is that all that happened? Well, it was pregnant. There were fetuses scattered all over. That's a at this dark point, five minutes. I was going to say, at this point, I don't think it's just pipes. Like, they've, <laughs> they, they've gone all in, haven't they? They've got all... Like, if you said, oh, it's a nice neighbourhood, but this is massively haunted house, fine. But at this point, it's... We're losing children. We're losing dogs. We're, yeah. But, but that's the thing. It's like, surely this just isn't pipes. This is like the gateway of hell at this point. <laughs> um, one thing I did pick up on that bit is because they're away from the initial crowd, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. They've gone on a bit of a It's like It's like, oh, we have to go up the road because these people, you know, people are too scared to come near the house or whatever. Mm. But then um, they obviously go to the woman's house, don't they? Or near the woman's house. But she, he goes, oh, we're just going to go up the road to a waste ground. But then they just meet this woman at her house. I was thinking, that's a house, mate. That's not a waste <laughs> ground. It's a bit fucking cheeky shit. I'm, I'm going to meet this woman, um, Yvonne Etherly, and she's on this piece of waste ground here. Yeah, thanks very much, mate. On his way back to the house, he is joined by Arthur Lacey, who tried to conduct an exorcism on the house at Foxhill Drive. Is he a priest? No. He works for British Rail. He's a British Rail guard. Oh, who'd work on the railway? Fantastic. Little in-joke for those that know that we work on the railway. Arthur tells him that he sensed evil in the house and that places inherit the genes of their past like humans do. I honestly think he could be right. My house was genuinely built on an old cricket pitch. And if you're ready for the worst pun in the podcast, I quite often see bats outside. (laughs) I'm a laugh or cry at that. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I was actually going to say it was built on a cricket pitch and I see the ghost of WG Grace or something like that. But I went for the bats because there are actually bats roosting. Do bats roost? I don't know if bats roost. They flap. <laughs> they flap. Next, we're back at the house and we see the ring on the carpet. And maybe the ghost that's putting excrement in the other person's house is now pissing on the floor in the living room. It's just when they, they check the lamp to see yeah. if it's not... So you're checking the lamp. The lamp's not leaking. Like, <laughs> and yeah, they're like, yeah, you've got a big electrical problem if you've got water coming through there. But also, they they suck some of it up with like the camera lens um, cleaner and or the the duster or blower or whatever a, it is. A pipette. It is a pipette, yeah. And when they sniff it, don't they? And yeah, thinking, sniff. What are you smelling a hanky for? Like, think, please be mackerel. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not wiping any stain and then smelling it. A haunted house or no haunted house? <laughs> Not a stain sniffer. <laughs> it's, it's in this that Suzanne, you get the first jump scare, although Craig Charles jumps out earlier on in the episode with a mask on from the kitchen cupboard. The first jump scare really is where Suzanne is stood right behind the camera crew and they turn around and she's just stood there. Apparently she feels ill and Sarah goes to grab her. What I mean is some sort of medicine. If that's milk of magnesia, which I, I might have been, that'll certainly clear your pipes. Um, it doesn't (laughs) not even an exorcism does that (laughs) she fills a glass with water and another great effect because we've all had it with dodgy pipes or dodgy taps where you turn on the water and it pisses out after about six minutes of waiting for the air to flush through I'm glad you mentioned this scene because obviously with my keen eyes the only thing I've got noted down is dirty dishes (laughs) (laughs) you've got the BBC coming around you can't even be doing your dishes I think she. I think. Um, I think she struggles to get water in a glass because there's so many dishes in that sink. <laughs> yeah, she's trying to put it above the plate. Later yeah. on, it's even worse. There's a fucking rabbit in the sink. 
We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Next bit we've already spoken about is very much the Kevin Tripp, the chap telling about telling them about being scared buggery by his cheese sandwich. Or no, whilst he's eating the cheese sandwich. After that call, they go straight back into the house and we hear the scratching. And the kids tell us that Pipes is here. That cat appearing at the window shit me up a little bit. Mm. And we hear banging all around the house. Did you see that man though? You didn't see him, did you? Not at this moment. What are you talking about? So they see the cat in the, um, what do you want to call them? Patio doors, yeah? And then the camera lifts up to spin round. Yeah. In the reflection of the patio doors, oh, no. there's, there's a ghost pipes behind. Oh. As in a reflection of pipes as though he's behind the cameraman? Yes. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'll have a look now. I'm, I'm sure I, I've literally got man in window. That's, that's, that's my note. Oh. But this is it again. Like horrendous. I was saying, like, you didn't see it. I saw it. But then there must be loads scattered through it. Yeah, well, there are more that I have got noted down later on. Maybe you didn't see, maybe you did. Mm. We see a few changes of the camera angle because Parky says, hang on a minute, Suzanne's out of bed, but she's not come out of the room. And then we spot her banging the pipes. You naughty little shit. It was way they caught her though, when they had to like zoom in and go down and it's like the sliver. Oh. So she she's hysterical, saying it wasn't me. Well, it was. We bloody saw you. No, although again, imagine being a viewer at this point, thinking the BBC has exposed this as one big hoax. Like you're watching live and you see and you think, oh bloody hell, that awful little girl doing that. She's basically saying, oh, I gave you what you wanted. I you know, giving the viewers what they wanted. which is incredible because it's such a false sense of security for the viewer because they have no idea what's coming. They think now, okay, back to safety, it's all fake. No matter what they've seen up to this point, whether it's glimpses of pipes or whatever, they now think that it's all a hoax and it's a, yeah. such a false sense of security. Yeah. Back in the studio. I, I don't get any vicarious thrill out of seeing parapsychology crucified in public, but it does... Uh validate my hypothesis that's the end for dr silvestri the american skeptic he's seen enough meanwhile we get to find out what people on the phones have been describing pipes as one person says that they've got a skull-like head in a dress with buttons and dr pasco at that point thinks hang on a minute this is familiar and asks to get the uh, the tapes of her recordings with kim onto the screen and whilst we wait we cut to some so-called real ghost stories from members of the public when the tape cuts out. Back to the phones again, people are phoning up saying the kids aren't going to bed, the table smashed, there's blood on the wallpaper. It's all going <laughs> off on the phones at this point. And then we get to see Kim's interview where she described pipes with those distinctive features in a dress with buttons. So it's confirming the exact story that the callers, who aren't real callers, Unbelievable. But it, but it seems like it could be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It just all links up and you start to think, oh my God. Back at the house, we hear the sounds of cats and Suzanne is now scratches all over her face. I think there's the argument, isn't there? They're about fingernails there. The mum's like, what fingernails? Because they all say, oh, it's probably just scratches that she's yeah. made herself with the fingernails. I was actually worried when they got a flannel and they started to put a cold compress on her face, the makeup was just going to start coming off. <laughs> That's why they didn't put it on her forehead That's or anything true, yeah. like that. It was very much just on her lower cheeks. We go back to the studio and we hear about the baby farmer, which we've already discussed. But the next scene, I think, is my favourite of the whole thing, where they're getting the kids out 
and Kim protests saying she wants to talk to Pipes and that's when the camera pans around the room and we see the ghostly figure we see Pipes standing at the curtains for less than a second and then he's gone because it goes back it pans around you see him stood at the curtains and then it pans around and zooms into where we've just seen it as the viewer mm -hmm. and he's completely and he's gone nothing there nothing yeah. at all as they take the girls out of the house we head back to Mike, who tells us there have been people calling in distress. Others have said that their clocks and watches have stopped. And Parky writes it off and just says it's all prank callers. Then, because this is back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They go then back to Sarah and there's really, really loud banging. This is horrendous. She has to sort of take her earpieces out because you hear the really loud banging sounds. And Susie's in the corner. I think she's muttering words to herself like the monster. And the pictures are flying off the wall. It's so creepy. This is where I think it's the turning point. I think it's like about the last 15 minutes where it begins to... Ramp up, definitely, doesn't really, it? Really, really ramp up. Kim's gone missing. She's behind the fridge when they look for her. The tap's running. The lights are flickering. The bunny is being drowned in the sink. Not a real bunny, a, a toy bunny that Kim's put in there saying that Pipes needed me to wash her or something along those lines. What The way I've described it is it's like paranormal activity with cats and a glory hole. And that is a brand new sentence. Never ever thought I'd find myself typing those words. Behind the boarded up glory hole is another door. And I wasn't expecting that. I no, thought I that thought... was the door with a plank across it or yeah. something like that. Yeah, that's what I thought. But then obviously when it opens, we see the man, the figure, stood inside. Have you slowed that down? No, I haven't, to be honest, no. I haven't either, but I'm just I saying just, I will. I wonder if that person's just been stood there. Obviously, this is cut over several, you know, this, this isn't one. Again, that's the other thing. This it looks it's so made cut. as though it's done in 90 minutes. Yeah, Flawless, absolutely flawless. But... Obviously, it hasn't been. So I was about to say, I wonder how long that guy was waiting there in the glory hole for his moment. But probably not that long because it was a scene that was actually separate. Anyway, I'll go back to being an idiot. At this point, the sound man gets whacked. I think his name's Mike too. And he's been whacked by the mirror that's fallen off the wall or something like that, just as we see the, the glory hole open. And we lose the transmission. And that is class. Because now Craig Charles is live but isn't, laughs about not having the scoop on the headless horseman because he wouldn't know where to put his microphone. We've mentioned it. It is just going down at this point. I, I, yeah, I've got a random note here at this point. That I'm going to have to like look it up. I've got Craig Charles attacking a kid. <laughs> yeah, he does. So he's like, you kids are following me around. There's two trick-or-treaters which yeah. are like going up to him with their masks on and he's just pushing them about. <laughs> it's great. But again, in typical Craig Charles fashion, you just get on with it. You're like, yeah, fair play. <laughs> <laughs> when the link comes back it looks peaceful but it isn't this gave me chills as well but this is it I'm, I'm, i mean we'll, we'll, we'll at the end we'll have a little chat about what this has influenced like for me just off the top of my head yeah yeah of course there is a section to talk about all that even though we've mentioned a few already but we will get back to it it's peaceful and it takes so long for them to realize that that footage is old this is where we get the phone call from the social worker, so we won't go into that. We've mentioned it a few times already. Parky, after that, is getting... This annoyed me a little bit, because Parky's getting aggressive, claiming it's all nonsense and saying no more calls. It's out of character for him. Now, yeah. is he being... Is it because he's being slowly possessed or anything like that, or is he just getting pissed off? Because that is so out of character for Michael Parkinson. I just didn't buy it enough at that point. However, I guess if you've just done an hour and a quarter of this show and it's all kicking off and you think, what absolute nonsense, then maybe you would get pissed off and maybe that was a real reaction. Not real, he's acting, but you know what I mean. It's in the machine. What? what? Well, look at the picture. Where? 
on the wall, the picture on the wall. What, what about the picture well, on the wall? It's still there. It hasn't fallen. It, it, it's not come off the wall. This picture we're seeing now isn't live. This is some earlier footage from earlier in the evening. This is just a cover. It's a dupe. But, but, but this what, isn't happening now. But what is happening? When they reveal that footage as old, I was blown away. There's a ghost in the machine. It cuts to the reel and we see it kicking off again. This time in the studio. That wind, man. What is that? It's not really windy blowing them all over the place and the studio lights are going on did you see the ghost there above the studio light as it panned up no so the camera went upwards and there's like a there's a ghost's face above one of the studio lights That's again amazing. it's one of those second watch you'll probably see it we eventually see the live footage we've got police arriving to pick up mike the sound man we've got pam and kim they're trying to get out of the house with the assistance of craig charles and suzanne and sarah are still inside. We next see the infrared camera, which was set up earlier. We can hear Mike Smith in the studio panicking, which is absolutely fantastic because his wife's in there involved amongst it. Chris, the cameraman's lay on the floor and we can see that Sarah is now on the infrared camera. They look for Suzanne in the room and can't see anyone. And then they use a lighter to make their way out of the house. We see what, I don't think, are they footprints or something? She says, can you see that? And you see these like ringlets or is it water on the floor pooling? I'm not sure, no, I don't There's know. something on the floor and she says, can you see that? And then you can hear Susie calling out for her mum. Cut back to the studio, the lights are exploding. Susie's in the glory hole. And finally, we see Sarah get dragged in. Incredible. People are leaving the studio. Mike is very much, no, put that feedback on. I want to see my wife. I don't think he uses those words, but he's adamant that he's staying there until he can see his wife on the TV again, refusing to leave. Parky is left in the dark, trying to remain professional, doesn't know which camera is working, so he's almost wandering around the studio. There's one chair with a camera in front of it, and Parky, again, he's, he doesn't know if anyone's there. We hear the cats again. Parky faces the camera and says, oh. Autocue's working. Round and round the garden. Like a teddy bear. Perfect ending. Yeah. Now, the version we've seen has credits because it's written by Stephen Volk. It's starring and you've got the actors' names. You've got obviously the people who played themselves in it, the directors, etc. That wouldn't have been on the BBC in 1992. Would that have just cut to a, like a... And it would have gone to a splash screen or gone to the next TV, or it would have been someone voiceover. Next on BBC One, Countryfile. Although it would have been about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, so it wouldn't have been Countryfile, but you yeah. get the picture. I've got two sections left, which is criticisms mm -hmm. and final notes. Criticisms is really short. There's not a lot that I can complain about. Okay, go for it. The main thing, and I've mentioned it already, so we don't need to dwell on this, the milk moment i just think and maybe it was different in the 90s if you look back at um tv shows from those days actually kids were fairly confident in front of camera i don't think there were the social pressures that there are nowadays to be that out and out or, or the outgoing person in front of a camera so when i first saw the kids acting i was a bit like oh easy again no criticism of their acting when it comes to screaming out for their mum or uh, pretending to be possessed or scratches on faces, all that sort of thing. It's just the, oh, you tell her, mum. And then the mum starts talking and then the girl interrupts. And I'm thinking it just feels a bit clunky, the acting. But actually, if you look back at real interviews 
back then compared to real interviews back now. Put it this way, if someone put a camera in my face or the BBC came around to my, my, around to my house, I'd be like, uh, um, uh, uh, yeah. uh, whereas they are absolutely word perfect and know exactly what they're going to say. And I think that's my only criticism is it didn't feel natural enough. However, understanding it was 29 years ago, maybe kids back then were like that in front of the camera. It's, you know, we're modern day now with, I like turtles. It's, <laughs> it's different when you've got a camera in your face nowadays. That's my only criticism. Is there anything that you, because for me, it's 10 out of 10. Like I, there are a few things that I would give a 10 out of 10 and there may be things that you could mark it down on. I get that. You're giving it a 10 out of 10 because of the cultural impact it's had as well, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, there's knowing what it's done over the last 29 years, knowing what it did at the time, mm. but also just how well it's crafted and put together. And as we mentioned, it's flawless from start to finish. It felt like a 90 minute live broadcast on the BBC. Yeah. It didn't look like there were any cuts whatsoever, but there definitely would have been. So for that, it's 10 out of 10. Is there anything that you would mark down for? Are there any things that you think didn't um, fit? Yeah, but I think maybe some of my opinions is because I'm taking it for what it is nowadays. Yeah. I think they, they doubled down massively on everything and they didn't need to. And maybe sometimes what we've seen recently is you can do subtle horror, but with, I mean, they had, I'll say they had pipes, they had the cats, they had the kids, they had, do you mean it was, then, but then like for me, not that I don't know how they would have done better. And obviously, you know, it, the impact it, it had anyway, but all the studio stuff and like I would have made for, for my, you know, if I made it out, I would have made pipes the central figure of this, but it didn't seem like that. Yeah, no, you're right. It seemed like it was like, like you say, a, a more massive, like paranormal existence. Um, existence. Mm. The fact you know that, I mean? oh, he's now in the, he's, he's in the footage or whatever. He's in the, he's in the machine. Yeah. I agree. I didn't like the studio bit, especially the wind. But yeah, exactly. The wind and all in it. The fact is, it's a, it needs to be in that house. Yeah. You know, and I think we've seen them. Um, the, the bit that I, I was I thought was really good was obviously you say about the section where they're viewing the house, but it, everything looks normal. Oh, it's fantastic! And you think again, host host does that perfectly. There's a section in host that does it perfectly, but and you think oh something that's just know, give me a chill as well. Yeah, because you know what comes next, and it's that full sense of security again. And oh. they could have maybe like I mean it's just what we've seen since 1992, but. Again, that's another influence they've done because that, again, that's that's done perfectly because you, you know in there is absolute carnage. The last thing you saw was absolute carnage, and now what you're seeing now is not. And I think anybody would say, right, it takes a while to realise that isn't live. Yeah, yeah. You question you question why they're doing it first. You're like, oh, hang on, why are they why are they doing that? And although I say perfect end with Parky being possessed and things, that's because of what happened. That's because it got into the machine and it got into mm -hmm. him. Wouldn't it have been better if perhaps that we'd lost transmission? It went offline for a bit. We go back to the studio. They're not, you know, they're, they're not um, overcome. They're not, what's the word when you are possessed? They're not possessed or anything like that. And we're in the studio, but they've got no feed. And they're like, we're desperately trying to get the link back. And yeah. they spend five or six minutes really trying. And you've yeah. got people panicking and you've got Mike then panicking saying, I want to get my, where's my wife? What's happened? And then finally we see her rather than getting either last scene being dragged into the cupboard or the last scene with her using that demon's voice, that, that voice. I don't know. I agree. I think the, you, mean, you could, you, you could go a lot darker. Like you could go a lot darker. And again, with influences we've seen post 1992, 
You um, get away with a lot more as well nowadays, to be fair. Ma- massively. And I don't think there was anything fine footage-wise around 1992 because you're jumping towards like 98, 99 for Blair Witch well, and this, maybe one or two before that. Yeah, and, and this is something that I've got in the next bit is it it feels like Ghostwatch is almost the missing link because that was the first time you've ever seen it. It's the first time I've ever seen it. But it almost unlocks so many films that we've now seen. I thought, where did they get their inspiration mm. from? Where did they take that from? Blair Witch is iconic. It's one of the most famous horror films ever made. It's one, it's, I think it was the first film that properly fucked me up. Yeah. Like, really yeah. scared me. And it's one of those that my mum, if you were to say name 10 horror films... She would probably name some rubbish ones like Dead Calm and stuff like that. But she would definitely say Blair Witch Project because everybody knows of it. Everybody's heard of it. Even if you've not seen it, you know exactly what it's about. Because of the cultural impact it had at the time. I think part of that part of that was what Ghostwatch did, but on a global scale, was didn't they send all the actresses the actress and the actors? Blair Witch, you mean? Oh not Ghostwatch. Yeah, yeah. Didn't they send them away and said like they're not like they're not doing any press release, uh, pr- uh, promo stuff. Yeah, you're um, not being interviewed by you no. know IGN or anything like that. Then, it's then, hush. Then the website, the website made out that it was a real thing that mm. they had gone missing. It, it didn't. It didn't mention it was a film at all on the website. Remarkable. It's, it's just like the ending of Blair Witch. I know some people didn't like it, but the fact it it related back to a story you had within the film itself. Yeah, it's very subtle again but you know it's it's all over for them you know again you could in Ghostwatch, you could have had no transmission for a few minutes they finally get hold of craig charles and be like you gotta go in and see what's going on he goes in and no one's there like no one everyone's gone mm. and they just can't find that they can't find anyone and that's the end shut off the ends. program yeah 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 I think that, that we've already mentioned host. So we've we've just mentioned Blair Witch we've we've mentioned host and I think the big one is paranormal activity. It's another one of those where it's cameras in the corner room. Did you see it? Did you not? And those things being thrown across, I think it's remarkable that after effects and films, like there's one thing, Iron Man toppling a building with lasers coming out of his hands and stuff like that. But when it's just a CCTV camera in the corner of a bedroom or a, or a ring cam type thing in the corner of a bedroom and you're making things move. I mean, I've, I've seen some of the stuff that, that, that director Rob, uh, Rob Savage has put on regarding host and how they got the boyfriends of some of the cast to pull drag cables him, yeah. and drag yeah. chairs out of the way and stuff like that. And he made that in lockdown. And that's one of the, that's again, it's another thing like that's a great film in its own right. But when you understand that it was made during a pandemic where it was all done in 53 minutes i mean maybe i'm bigging up host quite a lot that's next year's halloween special we need to do i don't know but it is that when you find out how things have been done how it's been crafted it makes it all all the better and paranormal activity was again i think for me blair witch was the first because that was what teens that came out in our teenage would be 15 or something no we're about 12, 13, I reckon, oh, Okay. Yeah. I probably saw it maybe at 15 or something like that. And then after that, watched a few horror films. Yeah, there's a few good ones, but didn't really get into it. Saw was another one which was, was massive. I get that because of the premise. 
but paranormal activity was that next one again the press around it and the hype around it and didn't they um this was the birth of sort of the uh, social media sharing and things where people were sharing that video of people watching paranormal activity yes so yeah. we didn't get to see the trailer but we get to see the reactions of people watching paranormal activity and it's that holy shit if a film can have that impact and Again, there are so many, I, I'm pretty sure. So I've watched, um, and we'll, we'll get to it. So there's a Ted talk that Stephen Volk has done and talks about some of the films that have been influenced in paranormal activity. The director has openly said that, you know, there were so many influences that he took from watching ghost watch. It's changed the way I look at things. I just think it's, it's incredible. There are so many things that I retrospectively look at now and think, yeah, never really thought about why that particular um, trait in a film exists, but it all comes back to Ghostwatch. Inside number nine, one of my favorite ever TV shows. They did a Halloween special a few years back, and I don't think I appreciated it quite as much as I do now. Even I've not gone back to watch it again, but they did a live show where things went wrong. They said, we're going to try our hand at doing a 30 minute special on BBC at 9.30 and it's going to be live. And an amazing thing happened in that where, I don't know if it's Rishi Smith or Steve Pepperton receive a text message in their dressing room because things start going wrong on set. So they go back to their dressing room, but we're now watching the footage from the corner. We're watching a CCTV camera in the corner of the dressing room. And one of them picks up their phone. They're like, oh, Mark sent us a message being Mark Gattis, Gatis, Mark, who is yeah. with them in League of Gentlemen, etc., has sent them a message. Oh, he's just sent us a message on Twitter at the same, at the exact same moment. Now, that, that would have been filmed weeks ago, months ago, years, whenever they filmed that, because it's not live, it's dubbed live. They're saying it's live. At the exact same moment, a tweet on, on Twitter, on the timeline says, Mark Gattis has sent a message or you know you see yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the tweet that they've sent saying lads i can see your cctv camera and then they start looking up at the cctv camera but if you go onto twitter the tweet is there and the way they've I coordinated just... it yeah it's, it's easy to coordinate but it's just one of those things that i didn't appreciate that at that moment that whole episode is a is dedicated to ghost watch it is Ghostwatch in the 2010s. I, you know, it was in the last five years, wasn't it, or something like that. But again, I didn't appreciate. I loved it, and I loved their show, but I didn't think it had any. I thought, oh, this is good. The fact that it is Ghostwatch 2.0, unbelievable. And I think that's the closest we we'll ever get to it because this now cannot be replicated. No, it can't because there will always be too many skeptics. There will always be the pause function on Sky, and there will always be social media. Yeah, because you, you. If you watch this back in 92, you couldn't text your friend saying, did you just see that? No. Or what was that about? And I've put, whilst we can't appreciate how it would have been originally brought or how it would have been when it originally broadcast, I think we can appreciate that it's a remarkable show that deserves its place in the Hall of Fame. And it's, I've mentioned the word iconic quite a lot. For me, it really is. I can't remember a time when I've had such a buzz off the back of a TV show like this. No, and it, it frustrating the fact that, yeah, they got so many complaints, which as a positive, it done its job. Yeah. And it done its job too well. But also the fact that, you know, arguably one of the best things the BBC in-house has done. Without a doubt. And they lock it away because they're ashamed of it. Yeah. And it's only until now, like, you know, in the last 10, uh, ten years, years. Yeah. that it's, it's become acceptable because it's finally caught up with its audience. 
and that probably is testament to it. It was 20 years ahead of its time. Yeah. I think it was. Now, two more things from me, and then I'll hand yep. over to you to go through Jason's notes if there's <laughs> anything else that we need to capture, because that always happens. First of all, there's loads of stuff out there to watch if you've enjoyed Ghost Watch. There's a behind-the-scenes documentary, which I've not watched yet. I've looked into it, and I think it took a while to build and there's several interviews with the cast and the crew and Stephen Volk who wrote it who retweeted us thank you very much we will forever I don't know what the word is but we're forever grateful thank you very much I did watch a 12 or maybe it's not a very long maybe 11 12 minute video of Stephen Volk talking at a TED talk where he he's the guy that wrote it probably director I'm not sure but he's he's the guy that crafted it talks about how we got it over the line and how it was commissioned also talks about the controversy and the complaints and things like that but again it's a really short video that's worth watching because there are so many facts that he includes about some of the things that went wrong or some of the things that happened and that they were having a party and they were being told about the complaints like an after show party almost they were being told about what had happened and actually would that not be the proudest moment ever finding out that your program has caused such a shitstorm. Now, there were things that went wrong. I'm sure there's stories out there where I think people may have committed suicide, which is obviously not a good thing. And three women went into labor watching it. Coincidence or not, I'm not sure. Maybe pipes scared the baby out of them. I, I don't know if that's... Do, that's do you think that some of these stories are maybe... I mean, I'm not saying they are, but potentially falsely created for the, the lore around Ghostwatch? And I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying the BBC's made it. I'm, I'm saying it's, it's the press or the media who've jumped on the bandwagon of, oh, this show caused thirty thousand plus complaints. You know, it's done this. It's well, done in that. some, just, in just, some just cases, it says a million, mate. But I can't see how a million people can complain about. It. I, amazing yeah. if that's the case. Final thing, and we'll go into Jason's notes. As a teenager, because we've mentioned host and we mentioned a few things, and you, you may have more. But as a teenager, I remember watching Most Haunted with my brother. And they always had a text number at the bottom and we text in some really silly stuff and we got you know our name on the bottom of the rolling they had a little rolling bar sometimes they'd read your things out one of the funniest things i've genuinely seen like i still think about it this day because it made me laugh so hard and it's nothing to do with ghost watch but it's that ghost watch has very much got similarities to, to most haunted hasn't it yeah but one person wrote in i kid you not and they said my cat just jumped and did a 360 degree spin onto the top of my television. I, I, it, mate, that's brilliant, isn't it? And now what I question, and, and this just goes to show that there are a few people that haven't, or quite a lot of people that haven't watched Ghost Watch. Because if you've watched Ghost Watch, how could you ever watch Most Haunted and take it seriously? Now, don't get me wrong. My brother and I never took it seriously. Obviously, we wanted to see ghosts. That would be incredible. But equally, when you've got Derek Cora running around, you can't take it too seriously. But Most Haunted is basically a shit version of Ghostwatch. It's got Sarah, who is clearly a vet fielding. It's got Craig Charles, the mad scouser that I've always already mentioned, you know, like, like Derek Cora. Except Craig Charles doesn't speak to his spirit guide, Sam. Not once did I hear Craig Charles saying, Mary loves dick. <laughs> Which you know, is... I knew you were going to bring that up. It's such, a, it's such a famous clip from Most Haunted. Mary loves dick. Anyway, enough about Most Haunted. It's just there are a few things in there from when I was a bit younger. Most Haunted was my ghost watch, um, but it took itself very seriously indeed. I want you to go through now. Take your time. Scroll through all your notes and just see if there's any stuff on there that we've glossed over that you're like, 
actually there's a really good point there. Is, there's no good points. It's my notes, not your notes. There's no good points. <laughs> because there's stuff like from the studio onto the onto Craig or the house, they've made a screen out of like 15 TVs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it goes like, back into like, that is, old school. This is, yeah. yeah, this is before projectors or before like you could, <laughs> could get massive. It's like, hey, can we do this? We'll just put like the string nine together or something. I didn't realize, like you say about Craig Charles on their uh, parkey. Did you also see that um, Adrian Edmonton was the cameraman? Shut up. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. No, no he wasn't. <laughs> no, he wasn't. But 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 did you see, did, did you see the... Oh, oh, no. <laughs> I remember... You've watched Sorry. it twice as well. I literally, I remember the scene though where she says... Oh, we've got an Adrian Edmondson lookalike over here. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I honestly thought I'd miss something massive then. No, no I remember the exact scene now. Jesus. That, that was good. Like oh that. my God. When when Parky and the and the doctor are on the phone, it's not like he's coming through the studio. They have to pick up individual pick up the handset, right? That's always good. Um see some some of this I mean, I've got like rotten rotten cabbage breath. There is a point where I, in the house, there's nothing branded in the house, so you could have you, no, so you could tell it's probably a, a fake show from there. Well, okay. But then I, again, it, I think I think she pours coke at one point though. Interesting, but I would argue that they knew they were coming. It's not like they've just arrived at the front door. No, okay. To be fair, looking at my notes, we've covered most things. I mean, we've we've also said about Craig Charles attacking some kids. Yeah. Um. Maybe he was pipes all along. Craig Charles's pipes. That, that, by the way, is not that is not a defamatory remark or anything in any way, shape, or form. Because Craig Charles is not pipes. Pipes is like a child molesting abduction oh, yeah, sort of. We're not saying that at all. He just fights trick or treaters. He was a highlight, though. I knew he was in it. I've always known he was in it, but I didn't think he would come across the way he did. He was fantastic. Yeah. Every scene he was in. At one point, he just looks at the camera and goes, "Boo!" <laughs> <laughs> it's great. No, I think I'm done. I, I, I literally have nothing left. And on that note, we call it to a close. Halloween 2021. Thanks for listening. We've done a load of other stuff about murder mystery reality TV. If you're into it, go and listen to it. If you're not, don't. We'll be back next Halloween with another special. For now, have a great Halloween. Stay safe. It's probably just a, uh, a goodbye. Or a... Round and round the garden, like a teddy bear.